You know, many of, many of our mothers are already in, with the Lord, right? And the, our, our, we, we remember them in a special way on this day. My mom is living with my sister, and she's on home hospice, and she's watching today. And I just want to say, Mom, happy Mother's Day. I love you. I'm going to see her tomorrow. It's going to be my Mother's Day with my mom. Hey, as we gather together today, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. And I'm going to speak to you on the subject, making good decisions. I really want to focus this message on those young couples with these young children up here. But I'll tell you, this message applies to everybody within the sound of my voice, whether you're in this building today or whether you're watching by live stream, whether you're married or not married, whether you're young or old or middle-aged, this message applies to everybody in this room. Because everybody in this room has to make decisions. And what I've discovered through studying the Bible and through life itself is when you make good, godly decisions, things work out better in your life. And when you make bad, horrible decisions, things don't work out the way you want them to work out. So we're going to talk today about making good decisions. About 200 years ago, there were two Scottish brothers by the name of John and David Livingstone. Now, John set his mind on making money and becoming very wealthy, which he did. Ironically, in an old version of Encyclopedia Britannica, John's name is mentioned, but here's what it says. John Livingstone was the brother of David Livingstone. But David Livingstone had another goal for his life. His goal was to dedicate himself to Christ and to the kingdom of God. He was a missionary in Africa. And he made this statement. He made a decision in his life, and that decision was reflected by this statement. He said, I will place no value on anything I have or possess unless it is in relationship to the kingdom of God. Wow. Do you remember hearing that phrase not so long ago during COVID? I have decision fatigue. Maybe you made that statement. Maybe you were involved in a business. Maybe you were involved in making multiple decisions as a family, and you just had decision fatigue. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you have decision fatigue today. But listen, the, the, the decision just keep coming over and over and over again, whether you have decision fatigue or not. They keep coming in fact, a Columbia researcher found that the average person makes 70 decisions per day. That's 25,550 decisions a year. 
And over a course of 70 years, that's 1,788,500 decisions that you make in a 70-year span of time. Now, making decisions can prove to be beneficial to your family or they can prove to be harmful to your family. And some of our decisions are real simple decisions, right? Like, what do I wear today? That's a pretty simple decision. Uh, wh what are we going to eat for dinner tonight? That's a pretty simple decision. Who's going to take out the trash? Now, that's a pretty simple decision, but it can have far-reaching implications if the one who's supposed to take out the trash does not take out the trash. When will the kids go to bed? Where are we going to buy our groceries? All of those decisions are, are simple decisions, but there are many complex decisions that we have to make in our families, and some of these decisions carry far-reaching implications, both short-term and long-term, like setting some social media boundaries for our teenagers. That's a big decision. Like a change in career, huge decision. Or, or moving to another state, or moving to another city, or, or going to another school, or, or getting married, or becoming foster parents, or adopting a child. Huge decisions. And, and you know, when we make moral decisions, whether we're going to obey God or disobey God, those are huge decisions with big implications. And then there are spiritual decisions that we have to make that are huge. Are we going to believe the Bible? Is the Bible going to be our final source for faith and practice? Are we going to believe in Jesus, that he is who he said he is, that he is the, the risen son of the living God, our only hope of salvation? Are we going to believe that? Are we going to lean into that truth? Are we going to reject it? Parents, you are raising your kids in a culture that is dead set on making decisions for you. You are living in a culture that is dead set on making decisions for your children without you even knowing about it. This is the reality of living in 2023. You know what you have to do as parents? You got to bow up. You, you got to say under God, nobody is going to take away my God-given authority to parent my children and make decisions for my children and help launch them into a life of honoring Christ. You cannot give that authority to the government. You cannot give that authority to the culture. That is your God-given authority, and you have got to take it seriously. You have to make decisions for your children. You've got to do that. Now, in Genesis 13, the story revolves around one of the famous heroes of the Bible. His name was Abram. Later on, he would be named Abraham. His wife was Sarai. Later on, she would be named Sarah. And, and Abram had a nephew by the name of Lot. And Lot became a part 
of Abram's family. And, and in Genesis 13, we find them traveling back from Egypt because Abram made a bad decision. You see, here's what happened. Once Abram had been called by God to leave Ur the Chaldees and go to Iran and then into Canaan where God intended for him to be, a famine came in the land not long after Abram got there. And Abram decided along with Sarai that it, they needed to go to Egypt because of the famine so they could have something to eat. They did that without consulting God. And it was a bona fide mess as a result. You, you see, when you get outside the will of God, you bring something back into your life that you really wish you hadn't brought back into your life. You know who came back with Abram and Sarai and Lot and his family from Egypt? Her name was Hagar. She was an Egyptian servant that proved to be an absolute albatross around the neck of Abram and Sarai. Now this story speaks to us about making good decisions. I want you to take your Bible. We're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Let me read that to you. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, that's the south country. He and his wife and all that belonged to him and lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Wow. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So they've come out of the land of Egypt. They came out very wealthy, both families, Lot and Abram, very wealthy. They had gold, they had silver, they had cattle, sheep, oxen, donkeys, camels, tents, male and female servants. I tell you, they were rich. And like occurs many times in families, materialism became the root of a conflict in that family. You, you see, the herdsmen of Lot's uh, cattle and all that he possessed and the, the herdsmen of Abram's began to argue with each other over water and grazing land. There was not enough land. There was not enough water. And, and I tell you, trouble was brewing and a decision had to be made. Something had to be done. It was a big decision. It was not a minor decision. And we pick up in chapter 13 verses 8 through 13, we find out the decision that was made. 
So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. They were kinfolk, uncle and nephew. Is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Verse 10 is so important. Look at it. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was the, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord. It's like the garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan. That's where God intended him to be in the first place. While Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were ex wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. He, even though, I find this amazing, even though Abram was the patriarch of the family, he gave up his right. He said, I'm going to trust God. And Lot, you choose. You choose wherever you want to go, you go there and I'll go opposite. If you go east, I'll go west. If you go west, I'll go east. And Lot made his decision, but he made his decision based upon a flawed assessment. He lifted up his eyes and he looked down there to the east and he saw the Jordan River Valley and it was lush and green and well watered. And in his mind, the decision was obvious. I need to take my family to the best place available. And he made a decision based upon his flesh. I would remind you that looks can be deceiving. Not everything that glitters is gold. And what Lot saw was only surface stuff. He didn't see the corruption that laid under, underground there. Be, beyond this, Lot chose for his family a place that was marked out for God's judgment. Lot chose for his family a place where their spiritual values would be compromised and their convictions would be compromised. According to Genesis 14, 12, Lot eventually moved his family into Sodom. We notice here in verse chapter 13 that he moved his tents as far as Sodom, but they're still outside the city limits. They're close enough to benefit from city life, to go to the grocery store if they needed to go to the grocery store and all that kind of stuff. But they weren't actually living in Sodom. And then in the next chapter, they move into Sodom. And in chapter 19, do you know what happens? The Bible says that Lot is sitting at the city gate of Sodom. You know what that means? 
Lot had become a leader in the city. He had become a political leader in the city, and he was judging people at the city gate of Sodom. Although he was distressed by what he saw, evidently his wife and daughters were loving it there. What looked so inviting and so attractive would lead to ultimate disaster. Hey, look, let me say something to you. This is very important. Never underestimate the impact of bad decisions. Never underestimate. Whether you're, you're a teenager, whether you're, you're a mom and dad, whether you're a grandmother and grandfather, whatever you are, wherever you are in life, never underestimate the impact of bad decisions. You say, well, pastor, what happened? Well, the Bible tells us that God brought judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities in the valley. You remember God had to send angels to rescue Lot and his family. And remember Lot and his, and his wife and his two daughters left the city of Sodom at the beckoning call of the angels, yet Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt and lost her life. And everything went downhill for Lot from there on. In fact, when you read the Bible, you don't read about Lot's name in Hebrews chapter 11, the great roll call of faith. But you read about Abram's name, don't you? Today, Israel is celebrating its 75th anniversary as a nation that has come back into existence. And yet there's nothing, nowhere in the world that you can point to as a place where Lot made a significant impact, a place where his roots can be found in the world today. All because he made a bad decision. Well, let's look at verses 14 to 18. And the Bible says, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. What a promise God made. And, and yet, here today, in 2023, the nation of Israel is in its homeland, the land that God promised to Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. The Bible says in verse 18, then Abram moved his tent See, he moved his tent too. But he moved his tent, look at this, and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. You don't read about Lot building an altar in Sodom, do you? You don't read about Lot building an altar and worshiping God there in the lush valleys of the Jordan River Valley, do you? Now he had written God out of his life at that time. 
These verses focus on God's favor and blessing in Abram's life. Why? Because he made a decision. He made a decision to trust God and honor God. Now, he made a bad decision. In fact, you go through the Bible, and and many of the, the heroes of the Bible made bad decisions. And there were implications for those bad decisions in their life. David made a bad decision, didn't he? A man after God's own heart, he made a decision that he would take another man's wife and sleep with her and have her husband murdered. And the implication of that, David felt for the rest of his life. But God forgave him, and God still used him. Maybe you've made a bad decision in your life. I tell you, God loves you. God is a God of grace, a good God, as the the lady sang about a few moments ago. And he will forgive you, and he will give you victory. Now, you may have to deal with some of the implications of your bad decision going forward. But I'll tell you, God will give you another chance to get a fresh start and to make a good decision that will have good implications for you and your family. But wait a minute. God God promised Abraham that he would make his descendants as the sand of the seashore. But wait a minute. Abram and Sarai were old at this time. They didn't have any children. No children whatsoever. But God was calling Abram and Sarai to walk by faith even though the circumstances looked dire. When God was finished speaking with him, he moved his tents to the Oaks of Mamre. That word Mamre literally means fatness. It's the place where the soul is made fat on the blessings of God. What a difference from Lot. And then the word Hebron means fellowship. Abram built an altar to the Lord and worshiped him in the place of fatness and in the place of fellowship. Diametrically opposed implications from Abram and Lot and their families. Every person and every family within the sound of my voice this morning will be faced with a flurry of decisions going forward. They're going to come fast and furious. And you need to make good decisions for your family and for yourself as individuals. But how do we do it? How how are we able to take these decisions that come at at us rapid fire and how do we make sure we make good decisions? There's a truth that emerges out of this story in chapter 13 that I want you to lock in your heart before I get into the actual application phase of this sermon. Here's the truth. Decisions determine destiny. Three words, decisions determine destiny. Okay, so how do we 
take this truth and how do we make good decisions that will make our destiny something that pleases God and is good for us? Number one, I'm going to drop four words in your heart and we'll close today. Number one, integration, integration. Integrate your faith in every decision you make in your life. Hey, that's what David Livingstone did, right? Remember what he said? I will place no value on anything I have or possess unless it is in relationship to the kingdom of God. Wow. So here's how you do it. Here's how you integrate your faith into every aspect of your life. Number one, put God first. Put him first. Make sure he's number one in your life. The Bible says in John 15, 5, I am the vine. These are the words of Jesus, our Savior. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in Jesus. Put him first in your life when you're making decisions. I tell you what you don't want to do. You do not want to make a major decision when you're not putting God first in your life because that is a recipe for disaster. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Everything you need in your life will be added to you. God will take care of you because he is a good, good God. Integration. Integrate your faith in every aspect of your life. How do you do it? You put God first. How do you do it? You study the Word. When you've got a major decision to make, you need to do this. You need to take the Word of God. You need to search the Word of God for every verse that speaks to the decision you've got to make. So you want to make sure that the decision you make is within the will of God based upon the Word of God. you got to ask yourself, will this decision I make, will it draw me closer to the Lord or will it drive a wedge between me and my family and the Lord? In Psalm 119, 105, David wrote, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I promise you, friend, if you're making a major decision, you get into this word, you study what this word says about this decision that you're making and make sure that your decision lines up with the word of God. And you can't go wrong when you do that. How do you integrate your faith into every aspect of your life? You put God first. You study the word. And then you pray for wisdom. You pray for wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, you say, Pastor, I don't know what to do here. Pastor, I need help. The Bible says in James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you really want to know what God wants you to do, if you really want to operate within the confines of the wisdom of God, the will of God, the word of God, I'm telling you, pray to God and you ask him to help you and he will guide you. He will lead you. He will give you the wisdom you need. 
And then finally, as we integrate our faith, seek godly counsel. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, the Bible says, where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Now, I want to say this. Just make sure that the people you ask advice from are godly, spirit-filled people. Don't ask advice in the spiritual realm from unspiritual people. Because you know what? They're going to tell you what you want to hear. They'll tell you what you want to hear. If you're wanting to make a decision that will carry you outside the will of God, trust me, you can find some friends and, and some fa even family who will give you the advice you're looking for, and they will make sure that you get outside the will of God. So when you ask for godly counsel, you make sure that they're spirit-filled, godly, Christ-centered people, and they'll help you. Now listen. The second word I want to drop in your heart today is not only integration, but the second word in this process of making good decisions is evaluation. Integration, evaluation. Okay, so you got a big decision to make. It's important that you get this right because the decision you make can affect your destiny and even the destiny of your family. Abram, Abram and Lot are perfect examples of that. So how, how do you evaluate these kind of big decisions? Well, make sure you get all the facts. Get all the facts. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 16, the Bible says, even prudent, every prudent man acts with knowledge but a fool displays folly. A wise man, a prudent man, acts with knowledge. A prudent man surveys all the options carefully as it relates to this decision that he or she is making. And then you count the cost. You count the cost. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is a way of death. So you've got to count the cost of this decision you're about to make. You, get, you need to look at the short-term implications of the decision you're making. You need to look at the long-term implications of the decision you're making. Abram did that. Lot didn't. And he and his family paid a steep price for the bad decision that Lot made. So we've looked so far at this process at, at two of the key pieces of the process, integration and evaluation. And now we come to the third important part of this process of making good decisions, and it's, it's motivation, motivation. Lot's motivation was obvious. He wanted the best the world could offer. Abram, on the other hand, wanted the best that God could offer. And, and when you're making a big decision, you've got to ask yourself a question. What is my motivation for making this decision? Is it 
a self-serving reason that I want to make this decision and go down this particular path in my life? Or is it about me getting the best the world has to offer? Or am I mainly concerned about pleasing God and doing what God wants me to do with this decision? You've got to ask yourself and you've got to be very honest with yourself, what is your motivation for making this decision? The fourth word I want to drop in your heart today as we consider making, making good decisions is the word dedication. Dedication. Once you've gone through this process of determining whether the decision you are faced with is of God or not, then you've got to move forward in faith. If you really sense that you're lined up with the will of God, you're lined up with the word of God, at some point you've got to lay your ears back and walk out in faith and do what God's called you to do. I'm behind this pulpit this morning because of a big decision that Darlene and I made in 1984. Been coaching and teaching for eight years. Never ran from the call of God. God did not call me when I was 16 or 17 or 18 or, or, or 20. But I'm telling you, at, in 1984, the call of God came very powerfully upon my life. And I remember Darlene and I talked about it and, and we prayed about it and, and we honestly and sincerely wanted to do what God wanted us to do. But it was a big decision. Zach was two, Heather was five. And we were making a decision. And I remember praying and asking God, oh God, please, I just want to do your will. Please make it clear to me. And there, it was a process. You know, here's what I found out. we got to learn to wait on God. When you really want to do the will of God and you want to know what he wants you to do with a specific decision in your life, you got to wait on God. God does not immediately give you what you ask for. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive right now. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. It says, ask and you receive, seek and you will find right now, right? Nope. Knock and it shall be open to you right now, right? Nope. I, I tell you, sometimes we got to learn to wait on God to give us the answer that we desperately need. I'm so uh, thankful for my pastor, Dr. Ken Anderson at, at First Baptist Saltillo. Man, he spent so much time, he and Miss Anderson spent so much time with me and Darlene. We wore them out, I promise you. I, we wore them out. But they were so kind and patient and wise. And then the day came when God made it very clear to me that he was calling me to be a, a, a pastor, to preach the word of God. And I, I was in the, the field house at the time, and, and, and I, I fell down on my knees in that sweaty field house, and, and I cried out to God. I just cried like a baby and said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but you've got to reveal it to Darlene. 
And I didn't say a word to Darlene. I knew what God wants to do, but I didn't say a word to her. It may have been a couple of weeks later. We were sitting on the couch. Heather and Zach were in, in bed. And I look over, and she's crying. Now, men, you know what it's like when you look over and your wife's crying and you have no idea why she's crying? Finally, I got up the nerve. I said, Darlene, what is wrong with you? And I'm telling you, rivers of tears were coming down her face. And she said this. She said, Chuck, I know that God's called you to preach. And I'm ready to do whatever God wants us to do. And that spring of 84, we packed up our stuff and we moved to New Orleans to go to seminary. It was a big decision. Listen, decisions determine destiny. That's true for, for Darlene and me. That's true for everybody in this room. You got to make sure that you make good decisions. So we dedicated ourselves to the Lord. Whatever He wanted us to do, we were ready. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Hey, we did. I had no idea I'd be pastoring Carnival First Baptist Church in 2023. But God knew what he wanted to do with me. And we stepped out in faith. We dedicated ourselves to do what he wanted us to do. And I look back on it, and I wouldn't change a thing. Not one single solitary thing. Listen, the decisions you make as individuals and as families can make or break you. Don't forget the truth that flows out of this text. Decisions determine destiny. Will you commit yourself to this process when you make decisions? I'll tell you, it'll work for you. It'll work for, for anybody who is a believer if you take this process, these four words, integration, evaluation, motivation, and dedication, and apply them as you walk through finding out what God wants you to do in, with this big decision, I hope and pray that you will commit yourself to this process. In fact, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you, we're going to stand up and worship, and I'm going to ask some of you to come, husbands and wives, come Individuals, come to this altar, bow before the Lord, and pray that the Lord will help you to follow this process when you make big decisions in your life. Let me ask another question. I'm sure there are people in this room today, and you're dealing with the repercussions of a bad decision you made. And the enemy is just beating you to a pulp. He's reminding you, of that bad decision. He's heaping tons of guilt upon you because of that bad decision.
And I'm going to ask you to come to the altar in just a moment and just ask God to forgive you. The Bible says if we confess our sins to God, he will forgive us. He'll forgive us. He'll give us a fresh start. Let me ask you, did God give David a fresh start? Yes. Did God give Peter a fresh start when Peter denied the Lord? Yes. And I could go through the Bible and show you bad decisions made by good people. And I'll tell you, my friend, God is a good and gracious God. And he'll help you get back on the right path. And then I'm going to say this in closing. The most important decision you will ever make in your life is the decision to receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. You know why I say that? I say that because that decision has eternal ramifications. It determines where you will spend eternity. And I'm going to invite you today. In fact, I'm going to ask our staff to come, our worship team to come, and I'm going to ask you to come to one of our staff members and just tell them today, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. He loves you. He died on a cross for your sin 2,000 years ago. He was raised from the dead so you could have the gift of eternal and abundant life. Come to Christ today. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. We know that you want us to make good decisions for ourselves as individuals and for our families. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would not only hear the Word of God, but that we would embrace the Word of God and we would take this biblical process that you've locked into the Word of God and use it in our lives as we make big decisions. Lord God, have your way in our hearts. I pray for the man, woman, boy, or girl who needs to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Lord, bring them to faith in Christ today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.